tuned in to Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our show. We're an open book. My name is Chris McMurray. And I'm Gene. He's my husband, <laughs> and he'll be behind the scenes making sure everything is running smoothly. As always, I'll be telling you what I think all along the way. I have no doubt. On this show, we discuss those difficult situations that a lot of families go through, but are often not talked about. Here we will, because like we said, we're an open book. In our relationship, we've dealt with marriage, divorce, remarriage to each other, addiction, sobriety, losing a business because of injury, and the ultimate sorrow of losing our son, Scott. Welcome back to our show, everyone. This is episode 13 of We're an Open Book. Lucky 13. We've been doing this now for a little over a year. In the course of the last year, we've told our story as openly, as honestly as possible. And some of the chapters of our life have been very difficult to discuss. They have, but by sharing our experiences in our book, this podcast, and on our YouTube station, hopefully we have been able to touch others who have gone through or are still going through some of the things that we've discussed. But before we get too deep into this episode, let's tell everybody about the book. That's right. Live, Laugh, Fly is available on Amazon, and 100% of the proceeds help to benefit children's cancer programs. So, as we come to the end of our story, we have a lot to discuss today, so let's get to it. Remind our listeners where we left off last time. I will do that. When we ended the last episode, our son Scott and our family were given the terrible news that his cancer that he'd been battling for nearly three years had returned and there was no treatment left, and sadly, no cure. And it's early October 2010. The doctors recommended hospice. Our worst fears had been realized. We knew at this point we had only months left with him. So now, our job was to figure out how to make those last few months as comfortable and as peaceful as possible. We wanted an in-home service that would allow Scott to stay at home with us until the very end. This way, family and friends could visit, and Scott could come and go without restriction as long as he was able. I would be his primary caregiver, often guided by a visiting nurse. We decided that Hospice of Westchester was a great fit for our family. Hospice of Westchester was recommended by our good friend Jennifer, who was also a fellow congregant at our church. They did so much for us. One of the first things was handling all the paperwork to set up organ donation. Growing up, the kids and I would have discussions on the importance of organ donation, but never did I ever imagine that those hypothetical talks would become a reality for one of our kids, but that's where we were. Now, as is our custom, we're going to go to our book, Live, Laugh, Lie, for a very short reading. You ready, Chris? I sure am. Go for it. When the hospice team first came to meet Scott, They brought a lot of paperwork. One of the items was a consent for cornea donation. As Kim and Scott were growing up, the subject of organ donation was one we often talked about. We all felt that when we had no further need for our organs, why not donate? We talked about how this could make someone else's life better when we're gone. Of course, this was all hypothetical, never imagining we would soon be faced with this decision. Until now, now this is real. I brought the paper to Scott and sat beside him. Even though his body was ravaged by cancer, his eyes, corneas, were healthy. 
I told him to think about it and to let me know. I left the paper with him. About a half hour later, he found me in the kitchen and sat down. I signed the papers, he said. Do you think he'll get my speck of gold, he wondered. I told him I hoped so. He had beautiful blue eyes with a very distinct speck of gold. He handed me the papers and I put them in an envelope for hospice when the time came. This brought it all home. This was real. It was really happening. You know, I guess the whole idea of a good hospice service that we were really fortunate to have is first of all, to make the patient as comfortable as possible, but also to teach us how to deal with a dying family member. Let's talk about some of the other things they did. Yeah, his nurse Cheryl at first came once a week, but as his condition deteriorated, she came more often, and in the end, she came every day. She became someone who we came to depend on for both practical advice, but also emotional support. Right. She taught us how to administer medications. She saw when it was time for the oxygen machine. She did all the things you would expect a nurse to do. But she was so much more than that. Yes, she was indeed. She also sensed when we were struggling, and she would take the time out to talk with us. It's 12 years later, and we are still friends with her and in touch. Forever grateful. Another great thing the hospice provided was a massage therapist who came once a week. Oh, Scott loved this. I would light a fire in the fireplace and, of course, playing the Beatles while he was being massaged. Hospice would also have his medications delivered to the front door. And that gave us more time with Scott at home. The last thing hospice did for us was make grief counseling available for one full year after Scott passed. And this was invaluable in getting through that first year, the first year of the holidays and just how to function that first year. So much year. stuff. Mm -hmm. Moving on from hospice, Scott knew his time was limited, but we want, he wanted to get away for one last family vacation. Yeah, at first he suggested Rome, Italy, or the Grand Canyon, but we both knew that those trips would be far too strenuous. So we came up with a great plan we went to Las Vegas to see Circus Olay's production of Love, which is a tribute to the Beatles. Vegas, baby, it was a great few days. The show was fantastic. And since Scott was 21, he was legal and he's old enough to gamble and do whatever he wanted. He was old enough for sure. And his impulsive personality prevented him from walking by any blackjack table if he had a few bucks on him. <laughs> yeah, the last $5 he had to spend. But by the time we got back from Vegas, now it's getting to be holiday time. We knew this would be the last holiday season with Scott. Several out-of-town relatives came in to spend Thanksgiving with us. As a special treat, Scott's cousin Jim and Aunt Eileen got tickets for all to see a show in the city the next day. Yeah, I was so nervous about that night because he was so frail. I just wanted to wrap him in bubble wrap. You did write a great bit about that in the book. Why don't you read that short passage for us now? Okay, here we go. Thanksgiving was a bittersweet holiday this year since we knew it would be Scott's last, and family members from everywhere came to be a part of this special day. We celebrate in our family's traditional way, and we all had something to look forward to the following day, as Eileen and Jim had gotten tickets for all of us to see a performance of Circus Olay at Madison Square Garden. We rented a van instead of taking the train as Scott's bones were frail and his stamina was limited. 
We started the evening with a pizza party at Jim's Manhattan apartments before going to Madison Square Garden. The show was wonderful. Scott loved it. But for the rest of us, the highlight of the evening was watching Scott jump on the banister of the down escalator, fly down, fly a little in the air, land perfectly, then continue walking like nothing happened. We all stood there, mouths open, and began to laugh. It was so amazing. It was so Scott. Now, just to be clear, we did see Circus Soleil twice, once in Vegas and the second time in New York. So we got through Thanksgiving, and Christmas is fast approaching. Yeah, we were so nervous about how we was going to react to all the festivities that surround Christmas. Things like putting up the Christmas tree. In our house, each and every ornament we have carries some sort of sentimental value. They were all homemade or souvenirs of a family vacation. It was so hard for me to see them without cheering up, and I'm trying to imagine what is going on in his mind but he seemed to relish decorating the tree. He and his sisters hung the ornaments, both laughing and remembering where all the ornaments came from. There was no sense of sadness. He seemed both joyful and grateful. And we were able to take his lead and appreciate the true joys of the season. We knew he'd not be with us for long and we savored every moment together. And that was such a beautiful gift. With the holidays behind us, Scott's body was weakening, but his spirit still craved adventure. In January, he went to Florida with a couple of buddies. And I'll tell you, hospice really jumped through hoops to make that trip happen. They contacted a hospice in Florida just in case something went wrong. They gave Scott that number if he needed help. That would be his last out-of-town trip, and he had a blast. In late January, he went to a concert with his sister in New York City to see Iron and Wine. And I'm so glad they had that time together, just the two of them. The very last time he left the house was a week or so later, when he and his friend went for a one last joyride in his beloved Mercedes. We knew time was drawing short. Scott spent most of his time in bed, and when he was awake, we would just sit and talk. Sometimes he would venture into the living room, but mostly not. He could not move around now without assistance. Scott would talk about dying. He was afraid, like anyone would be. One day, he asked his mom what heaven would be like. How do you answer a question like that? Well, there is a bit in the book that I'm going to talk about. Mom, what do you think heaven will be like, Scott asked. I think it'll be such a great place. You won't have any more pain, and your body will feel so good, and you will fly so fast to heaven. In heaven, you'll be able to do whatever you want. You'll be so happy. Also, you'll get to hang out with all the famous people you admired, like John Lennon. John Lennon's not going to want to hang out with me, Scott said. Of course he will. He'll probably thank you for being such a huge fan, I said. Scott just looked at me. In heaven, there's no clicks. Everyone hangs out with each other, I said. You make it sound so good, Scott said, because it is so good. I then reminded him that he had read a lot of stories about people having near-death experiences, and not one of them ever came back saying heaven was horrible. We both laughed. I told him that he'd also see Grandma Phyllis and Grandpa Eugene. How will I recognize them, he asked. Well, they'll be waiting for you, and when you see them, you'll have a feeling of just knowing, I said. 
After this conversation, I always used the word fly instead of die. When I knew that he was hanging on to me, I would tell him it was okay if he wanted to fly tonight. I would tell them that if he saw Aunt Grace, he should fly to her. I'm pretty sure he met John. I'm sure he did. Probably George, too. He's having a good time. You know, we talked about everything, even the uncomfortable topics. For those that don't know our entire story, I was away from the family for several years dealing with a substance problem, leaving Chris with the two kids to raise. Although we all came back together happily, Scott and I never really had complete closure on that subject. And now it's time for you to read your passage. Well, I will, and here goes. As March turned into April of 2011, there was no doubt that we were in the final stages. Our son was dying, and it would happen soon. He was seldom getting out of bed. The oxygen tank was his constant companion, and he was sleeping most of the time. Cheryl, the hospice nurse, visited every day, and we sat with Scott for hours on end, sometimes praying, other times reading, but mostly just cherishing the little time we had left. A month or so earlier, Scott and I were sitting in his room watching the Knicks, a pastime we had come to share. He seemed okay when we started watching the game. At a break, I turned to say something to him and saw that he was crying, which he seldom did in front of me usually saved those emotions for his mom. When I asked him about it, he said, Dad, I'm 22 years old and I'm dying. He wasn't angry. He was like, he still couldn't believe it. All that was happening, or maybe he knew that it was happening soon. I asked him if he wanted his mom. No, he said, I want you to give me a hug. Surprised, but so glad that he wanted me this time, I climbed into the bed with him. And as we embraced, and he, with all his strength, could muster, poked his finger in my chest and said, what you did to mom and I and Kim was screwed up. I told him, I know it was, and I'm sorry. And that moment, I knew that he had forgiven me. I had tried to make amends before on several occasions, but he wasn't ready to hear me. Thankfully, that evening he was, and he did, on his terms. I felt we were at peace father and son. I'm so glad that happened. And how did you feel after that talk? I am grateful every day for that talk. And these are the times that we will always cherish. There were so many meaningful talks during this time. And what was so amazing is that all Scott wanted to talk about were the times that we spent together. Mom, remember when we would spread a blanket on the floor, have a picnic and watch a movie? Remember when we would go bike riding? Remember when we would go camping and we hiked up a mountain? All he wanted to talk about was the fun times we did as a family. There was no mention of PlayStation, iPads, or video games. None of the stuff that you think your kids really want or need. These conversations showed that the most important thing that children want is their parents' time. That's it. And it's really easy to do. So make the memories, have fun with your kids, because the moments are what matters, not the stuff. You never know when the moments are going to end. That's right. So now we're into early April. April 5th, Scott's hospice nurse, Cheryl, advises us that our son's time likely was down to days. Our daughter took a leave of absence from her work and immediately came home to be with us. 
During those final days, which turned out to be three weeks, Scott started to tell us about visitors he was having and seeing them in his room. He saw children that he recognized from the hospital who had passed away. I asked him if this scared him. He said, no, but why are they here? I told him maybe they came to show you that it's going to be okay. There was another noteworthy visitation from our Aunt Grace, and Chris is going to read a passage about that. I am. This is April 10th, 2011. I will never forget this day. A few days before, Cheryl had told us that these were Scott's final days. Kim's job gave her a leave of absence so she could be home with us, and two of Scott's cousins were in from their out-of-state colleges. I woke that morning and wanted to go for a walk since family was arriving that afternoon. As I was walking, I remembered that it was Grace's birthday. Scott and Aunt Grace had such a special bond. He adored her, and she truly got a kick out of him, always delighting in his laughter and mischievous antics. As Scott grew up and Grace got older, he took it upon himself to visit her, riding his bike to the nearest convenience store for a box of cookies. Together, they would snack, talk, and watch TV. She would joke that they always ended up watching his favorite cartoons. When Grace passed away seven years earlier, Scott was sad but happy that he had special memories with her. I began to talk to Grace. Grace, I know it's your birthday today, but please take him with you. Please, no more pain. He's ready to go. Please, no more pain. Then I continued on my walk and asked God to give me strength for the day. Soon after I returned home, family members began to arrive. Jean's sister, Barbara, brought a large box of amazing-looking cupcakes. Everyone gathered in the living room except Scott, who was in his room. I went to his room and asked him if he wanted to come into the living room. He did. So we put him on the swivel chair, then wheeled him in and placed him on the couch with the oxygen machine next to him. I showed him the cupcakes. Don't these look so delicious, I said. He nodded. Shouldn't we ask Aunt Grace? She's in my room. Scott said. Everyone's jaw dropped. Oh, wait, isn't she dead? He said. We nodded, our mouths still open. A little while later, Scott asked to go back to his bed. He wanted to sleep. After he was settled in, I returned to the living room. We began talking about what Scott had said. I then told them about my walk and what I said to Grace. I know Grace heard me. I think she came to see him and decided it was not his time yet. But I know now that they are in communication, and that gives me comfort. Then, finally, on the evening of April 26, 2011, Scott seemed to be distressed. We moved him to our bed to lay next to his mom. I went to the couch. During the night, I must have checked on him ten times. Then about five in the morning, when I checked on him, he was not breathing. I had to wake up his mom and tell her that he was gone. And this is how I describe that morning in the book. It's April. Jean woke me around 5 a.m. It was April 27, 2011. Chris, he's not breathing, he said. I leaned over and put my head on his chest. I did not hear a heartbeat. The oxygen machine was still. I removed the tube from his nose and kissed his cheek. He was still warm. I kissed him all over his face while I'm saying goodbye. While I'm telling him, I love him. I asked Jean to go get Kim. He went upstairs. I continued to kiss Scott goodbye. Then it hit me. The saying parents hear as soon as they become parents. 
Your children are a gift from God. I must have heard this saying a hundred times. And during those tough teenage years, I even wanted to return that gift, I thought jokingly. But suddenly, this is what made sense. After kissing Scott for about the 20th time, I looked up to God. Thank you, I said. Thank you for giving him to me for 22 years. He was a gift. But now he had to go home to you. You knew he was going to get sick and die, and you trusted me to love him, care for him, and prepare him to go back to you. Tim and Jean came downstairs and said their goodbyes. Although we knew this day was coming and we were glad that his pain was over, it was still so overwhelmingly sad. You know, you've heard it said often, and it's true. Although we prepare for the death of someone so close, when it happens, you realize you're not prepared at all. Even nearly 12 years later, there remains an element of disbelief. I know. I often will question, did this really happen? Scott died? It will always be surreal. The world seems a lot emptier at first. That void is filled, though, eventually with grief. But eventually, little by little, life begins to take place. And what helped me get through the pain was talking to him every day, sometimes several times a day. Of course, I would tell him I loved him, and I'm also letting him know that I'm trying, I'm trying to be okay. And then something really amazing started to happen. He found a way to answer you. He did. I noticed mm -hmm. signs that I know were from him. And as I said in the book, first I thought I might be going a little crazy, but I soon felt comforted and began to realize that something greater was happening. You seem to have more peace and that gave you strength to begin moving forward. Give us an idea of one of those signs you experienced. I will. This is May 2011. I think this was the first one. This was my very first sign. A few days after the memorial, I finally made my way out to the front porch. It was a beautiful, warm day in early May. Just weeks before, I had brought my house plants outside to soak up the sun after a long winter. Now I wanted to point my face to the sun and just breathe. I was exhausted. Of course, Lucy was by my side. She hadn't left my side since Scott died, and she refused to go into Scott's room, although she had been there throughout his illness. She was also grieving. Sometimes I heard her moaning. As we were sitting there, a wave of cold air came over me. It was so cold that I shivered. I was taken aback because the temperature that day was about 80 degrees. As I felt the cold pass over me, I said out loud, Scott, is that you? Are you okay? The cold lingered for a few seconds, then disappeared. I didn't tell anyone about this experience. I was afraid people might think I was having a nervous breakdown. I knew I wasn't having a breakdown. I knew it was my son. Well, we told you this was going to be a long episode, and it has. So let's wrap it up with one of my favorite signs from that first year. It took place on our first Thanksgiving without Scott. And I'm going to read it, okay? Also one of my favorite signs, too. Last one. Okay. We arrived at Eileen's home. The table was beautiful, and she had two honeysuckle candles in the middle to honor Scott. Honeysuckle was his favorite scent, and we always had them burning when he was sick. We all gathered at the table and held hands. Jean began the blessing. 
As he spoke, he began to cry. We were still holding hands and looking down when all of a sudden one of the candles fell. It was not a gentle fall like a loose candle, but like someone had intentionally knocked it down. We all stared at the fallen candle, looked at each other, and laughed. That's right, Scott. Tell Dad to stop crying. It's so annoying. We all knew that we had just seen something pretty amazing. The rest of the night, we told Scott stories and watched YouTube videos that he would have liked. That night, as I closed my eyes, I said to Scott, thank you. That was so cool. I also thank God for giving me the strength that I so very much needed. As I was drifting off to sleep, I thought it was a good day. Those are just two of the many signs that we have detailed in our book, Live, Laugh, Fly. And again, that's available on, on Amazon. If you have a sign that you have received from a departed loved one, we would love to hear about it. You can email us at remember love never dies at gmail.com. And this will be our last episode here on Word of Mom Radio. We'd like to thank Dory and everyone who has helped make this podcast happen. We would also like to thank all the folks who've taken the time to listen to our story. We hope we've touched you in some way. We are going to continue to share some of the signs that we have received, as well as those from our listeners and social media contacts. You can find us at We're an Open Book on YouTube. We hope to see you there. So that's our story. I guess we're, that's it, honey bunch. Nope. One more thing. Of course. How could I forget? Remember, Remember love, love never dies. dies. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Thank you. She is sure. She is